Okay, good evening everyone, welcome, Baruch Um Tonight's shir, we're going to give it an interesting title. We're going to call it, How to, Lay, How to Make Life Easier. Right, raise your hand if you want life to be easier. What? I'm not sure if you know how to do it. It doesn't matter, but we have to give it a catchy title anyway, you know? Okay. That's the name of the shir. Whether we'll accomplish that, that will, uh, is yet to be seen. Okay, so we begin actually with uh, something very interesting. One of the zmiros that we sing on Matsoi Shabbos, we say the following. It's in, uh, if you look in the Siddur, one of the things we sing is, The one who distinguishes between holiness and profane, he should forgive our sins. Okay, and we say the following. In number one, we say, "Nachnu biyadcha kachomer." God, we are in your hands, kachomer, like clay. Right? We know our lives are dependent on God. He could bend us this way. He could bend us that way. Nachnu biyadcha kachomer, and then we say, "Salachna akavachomer." Forgive us for kavachomer. Now, if you look in the art scroll sitter, what does it mean, God, forgive us for the kal, for the light sins, v'chomer, and the severe sins. Right? Don't just forgive us for the light sins, forgive us for the heavy sins also. But really, that's not usually what kavachomer means. And before we start, we really need an introduction to the concept in Gemara called kavachomer. One time uh, we introduced this concept, we're going to mention it again. Remember Sam, one time we used it, I think I got you involved in the Kavachomer. Kavachomer is that, uh, you know, if you have a little kid, he's five years old, and you throw him the ball, if he could hit the ball 50 feet, then Sam, who's an almost professional baseball player, he could definitely hit the ball 50 feet. Right? right? Or, if... Uh, if a regular guy could hit the ball 50 feet, then certainly Babe Ruth could hit the ball 50 feet. Obviously not now, because he's not alive, but in his prime. Okay? That's a kavachomer. If even in a lenient, even in a light, even if a lightweight could do something, certainly the heavyweight could do it. If even a lenient thing could accomplish a certain task, certainly a more major thing could accomplish that task. That is the concept of kavachomer. Okay? And what does this mean exactly where we say in the Zmiros, Slachna Kavachomer, God, forgive us for Kavachomer. What does that mean? Okay, we have an amazing Zayar HaKadosh that uh, explains the Pasuk in last week's parasha, Parsha Shemos. The beginning of the parasha, the Torah tells us, Vayimaru es The Egyptians embittered our lives, Ba'avayda Kasha, with hard labor, Bechomer, Mortar, uvalvenim, and with bricks. Okay, that's the simple meaning of the pasuk. That the Egyptians made our life bitter with hard work, with mortar, and with bricks. Says the Zayar. Right, we're learning uh, mystical stuff now. Says the Zayar. What does it mean? The Egyptians made our life miserable with avoida kasha, with hard work. It's a play on words. Words kasha is kusha. Kasha refers to Akasha. What's Akasha? When you're learning Gemara and you don't understand something, Akasha, you have a question. They made our life embittered with Akasha, with questions. 
Bechomer. They made our life miserable with, with mortar. That could refer to, says the Zayar, Kalvachomer. They made our life bitter with Kalvachomer. With this type of argument that we expressed, what's a Kalvachomer again? Kalvachomer is, if even a lightweight could do something, certainly a heavyweight. Uvilvenim, and with bricks? Eh, it doesn't mean with bricks. It means halacha. Like libun halacha, clarifying halacha. That's what the Zohar says. So when it says, Vayimaru Aschayim, they made our life bitter. Bitter refers to, right? Vayimaru Aschayim, Ba'avoyi Dekosh, with hard work, Kasha, with question, with a question. Bechomer, Kal Bechomer. Dovenim, halacha. What's the Zohar talking about? What does that mean? They made our life bitter with kasha, with kavachomer, with halacha. What's that supposed to mean? We have what we call a medrash pliya. Medrash pliya is there's a collection of midrashim that are like uh, almost imponderables. They're enigmas. It's impossible to understand. Almost impossible. And the medrash says the following. You know, we say in halal, that at the time of Kriyas Yamsuf, Hayam Ra'ah Bayanas. The sea saw and it fled. In other words, it's talking about Kriyas Yamsuf. The sea saw something and it split. Ask the Medrash, what did the sea see? What did the sea saw? Right? What, what was it that the Yam, that the sea saw? What did it see? That it split. Says the Medrash, it's a Medrash Plia. You know what it saw? It saw the Brisa of Rabbi Ishmael. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? It's all the brysa of Rabbi Shmuel. Who's Rabbi Shmuel? What's a brysa? Well, a brysa is similar to a mishnah. A mishnah were those Tanaitic statements that were taught in Rabbi's house, the house of Rabbi Huda Hanasi. And a brysa are those Tanaitic statements that were taught outside of Rabbi's house. In other words, it didn't make it into the main body of Tarsh but nevertheless, it's still authoritative. Okay, that's what a brysa is. So what does it mean the sea saw the brysa of Rabbi Shmuel? Who's Rabbi Ishmael? What exactly did Rabbi Ishmael teach? Why did the sea see this thing? And why did it split because of it? Now we all know there is one very well-known brace of Rabbi Ishmael, right? Before Psuki de Zimra, before Shachras, we say a brace, right? Remember, Rabbi Ishmael, Oimer, Right? We say, right before Psuki de Zimra, right before Mizma Sheikh David, right before Baal Shamra, we say, Rabbi Shmuel Aymer, there are 13 principles with which the Torah is expounded. Right? What does that mean, the Torah is expounded with 13 principles? That means God gave Moshe Rabbeinu 13 methodologies of learning out halacha. For instance, the first principle is Kalvachomer. That's the first principle. Okay? What's a Kalvachomer? Well, I'll give you an example. That in Jewish marriage, there are two stages. There are two stages. There's Kiddushin, that's the engagement, not what we call the engagement. Our engagement is, uh, doesn't really have halachic, uh, it's not really halachically binding. But uh, according to, we, today we do both stages of marriage all at once. Kedushin, Nesuin. What do we do for Kedushin? Kesef, you give a ring. What do we do for Nesuin? Chuppah, basically. Chuppah or Yichud. Rav Huna holds, in, the, in Shas, in the Gemara Kedushin, Rav Huna holds that Chuppah could, 
even do the first step of marriage, Kedu Kedushin. Why? Because Rabbi Huna makes the Kavachomer. He says, if Chuppah could accomplish the second part of marriage, which is much more difficult to accomplish, because we, there, we find there are certain methods that cannot accomplish the second part of marriage and can accomplish the first part of marriage. So if Huna says, certainly Chuppah could accomplish the first part of marriage. Okay, that's a Kavachomer. This is one of the 13 ways of expounding the Torah. When God gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, He gave him 13 principles through which to derive Halachos. Okay, one of them is Kavachomer. One of them is Gezerah Shava. Gezerah Shava is... If you have a certain phrase in one place in the Chumash and the same exact phrase in, another, phrase in another place in the Chumash, you could extrapolate, you could learn halachos from one to the next. That's Exeir Shava. There are 13 principles of Torah methodology. Okay? Shalosh Esri Midos, 13 principles, Shah Torah Nidreshes Bahim. Okay? And if you remember, what's the last principle? The last principle is what we call Shneik Suvim Hamakrishim Zazah. You have two psukim that contradict each other. What do you do? Right? Imagine, one pasuk says apples. One pasuk says oranges. So we have a contradiction. So the, the Rabbi Shemot says, We have to come on to a third source, and that third source is Machria, tells us, directs us what to do when you have these two verses that contradict each other. These are the 13 principles that the Torah is expounded with. Okay, so... We have a whole bunch of questions here. We want to know, what are we saying exactly Saturday night, Matzai Shabbos? God, forgive us for Kavachomer. What's that supposed to mean? Number two, we want to know, what does the Zohar mean that the Egyptians didn't embitter our life with hard work, with mortar, with bricks, but rather they embittered our life with questions, with the Kavachomer, and with Halacha. And what does the Medrash mean that why did the sea split? Because it saw the b'risa of Rabbi Yishmael, what is that supposed to mean? Okay. We come to this week's parsha. This week's parsha is, ma- is the major turning point in the events of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. At the end of last week, Moshe Rabbeinu comes to God. He said, God, why did you send me? Pyro's not listening. We're never going to be able to get the Jews out of here. And finally, God says, no, we're taking you out. Hashem tells Moshe the four Lashonos of Geula, I'm going to take them out, I'm going to save them, I'm going to rescue them, and so forth. And then Moshe Rabbeinu comes to God with the following argument. Look at number five. What does Moshe say to Hashem? Moshe spoke to God saying, Hain b'nei Yisrael le'sham the Jewish people are not listening to me. So how how's Paro going to listen to me? My lips are clogged up. You hear what Moshe says to God? He says, God, the Jewish people are not listening to me. How could you expect Paro to listen to me? What would you call this type of argument? That's a classic Havachimer. If even the Jewish people are not listening to me, right? And I'm telling this for their own benefit. I'm telling them they're going to leave Egypt. I'm telling them they're going to get out of here. They're going to be able to go into the desert and, you know, vacation in the sun. I'm telling them they're going to be free men and they're not listening to me. 
So certainly their, their taskmaster, the king who's getting free labor, certainly he's not going to listen to me. And in fact, Rashi points out in number six, the Eich Yishma'ini Paroi, how is Paro going to listen to me? Zeh Echad Me'asara Kavachomer Shabbatora. This is one of the ten instances in Chumash where the argument of Kavachomer is utilized. In the Gemara, you have many instances of Kavachomer. But in the Chumash, you have very few instances of Kavachomer. This is one of the ten instances where a Kavachomer is employed. <coughs> well, again, what's the Kavachomer? In other words, if, if my own people are not listening to me, and it's for their benefit, and I'm their leader, and I'm their prophet, then certainly this wicked Paro, who is going to lose by my message, certainly he's not going to listen to me. Now, all the Mepharshim, all the commentaries ask the following question. This is not a Kavachomer, there's an obvious Pircha on the Kavachomer. Okay? Now let me explain to you what a Pircha is. Remember we said before, what was the example of a Kavachomer? If you take a five-year-old kid, and he can hit the ball 50 feet then Sam over here could definitely hit the ball 50 feet. At least. At least. Yeah, I'm sure he could hit it out of the park. But at least 50 feet. But I'm going to ask a pircha on that kavachom. I'm going to destroy the kavachom. You know why? Because what if the boy who hit the ball 50 feet, he was holding a big aluminum bat, and Sam has a pen to hit the ball with. So could you then make a kavachom, or if that kid could hit the ball 50 feet, then certainly Sam could hit the ball? No. The boy can hit the ball 50 feet. He's on steroids, basically, right? He has, a, he has a big bat. He doesn't have a bat. He has a little pen. That's a pircha. That's what we call a pircha and a kavachomer, where we say it's true your logic makes sense, that if something should apply in the lenient case, it should certainly apply in the strict case. However, I have a logic to say, no, there's a specific reason why it only applies in the lenient case. So here's the, the pircha and this kavachomer. Open up your Chumashim, if you have one. And on page 320, Parak Vav, Pasuk Tes. Okay. Let's see what the Torah tells us about why the Bnei Yisrael did not listen to Moshe. Moshe spoke to Bnei Yisrael. They did not listen to Moshe. Why? out of shortness of breath, and from hard labor. In other words, why are the Bnei Yisrael not listening to Moshe? Because Moshe is coming to them and saying, you're going to go free. They can't even understand that. Free? They're so worn out. They're so They're so weakened from working. They're so out of breath that the concept of freedom does not register on them. They can't understand freedom. In other words, why did the Bnei Yisrael not listen to Moshe? Because they can't accept it. They had such shortness of breath. They had such hard work. So all the Mepharshim asked, so then what's the Kalvachomer? What's Moshe's argument to Hashem? That if Bnei Yisrael are not listening to me, then certainly Paro's not going to listen to me. No. What's the logic of that? The Bnei Yisrael are not listening to Moshe. Why? Because they're out of breath. They're working so hard. That, that, that doesn't apply to Paro. Paro's sitting there in his palace and he's having, you know, people fan him and feed him grapes. Paro doesn't have shortness of breath. So Paro will listen to Moshe. This is what we call a Pircha on the Kavachomer. It's not a Kavachomer. Kavachomer is, if 
Vimei Yisrael are not listening to me, so certainly Paro won't listen to me. What, what's, the, what's the sense of that? That, that? that doesn't make any sense. Bnei Yisrael are not listening to Moshe. Why? Because of shortness of breath. So the Maral says like this. Maral says, we're not going to get into this too much. Maral says like this. Moshe still had the right to make a Kavachomer. Why? Because at the end of the day, who is it more likely that's going to listen to Moshe? The Bnei Yisrael or Paro? It's true the Bnei Yisrael have a reason not to listen to Moshe because they have shortness of breath. But on the other hand, this message is for their benefit. They want to hear that they're going to go free. They're hearing it from Moshe. So although you may have a minor svara, a minor logic to say they're not going to listen to Moshe, but overall, in the overall picture, let's weigh these two options. Who is it more likely to listen to Moshe? Bnei Yisrael or Paro? What would you say? Bnei Yisrael. But the Bnei Yisrael, they're not listening because they're a shortness of breath. Big deal. But still, right? at the end of the day, who is it more likely is going to listen to Moshe? Bnei Yisrael. So if even Bnei Yisrael is not listening to Moshe, certainly Paro will not listen to Moshe. Okay, we'll leave it like that. We'll leave it as that. But the Maral points out that this Kavachomer of Moshe Rabbeinu, is it a good Kavachomer? Yes. Because if the Torah is recording it for posterity, that Moshe Rabbeinu made this Kavachomer, it must be a good Kavachomer. It must be logically sound. So the question we have to ask ourselves is there are such, so, it is so rare for the Torah to record a full fledged, valid Kavachomer. Why does the Torah of all places choose? to record the concept of Ka'a V'chomer at this juncture in the Chumash. Yeah? Good question, Erez. Right? Of all places. Of all places. It's not like uh, every, every Monday and Tuesday the Torah records Ka'a V'chomer. You don't have Ka'a V'chomer in every parasha. Why specifically does the Torah choose to record the concept of Ka'a V'chomer right here? This is a different question. What? Meaning it's so weak, why? No, it, it's a good Kavachomer, it is a Kavachomer, but of all places for the Torah to introduce the concept and record the concept of Kavachomer, why specifically in Parshas Va'era at this moment in time? Okay, so as we said in the beginning, the topic of tonight's shir is how to make life easier. That's the topic. So you're, we're about to hear the secret, okay? Right? We took a vote in the beginning, but now that we have more people, maybe we could take another vote. Maybe it will be different. Right? Who wants their life to be easier? Right? Okay, so here's the trick. Eov. Eov says the following. Adam le'amal yulad. Man was created to toil. Man was created to toil. Okay, the Gemara has the following question. What kind of toil? Is it for hard work? Or is it for work with your mouth? Now what does that mean, work with your mouth? How do you work with your mouth? So the Gemara says, the answer is God, man was created to work with his mouth. Then the Gemara says, what kind of work? You know what kind of work? To work with your mouth by learning Torah. That's what you were created for. You were created, you were put on this world to work with your mouth in learning Torah. Says Rav Aaron Cutler, 
This is how we understand this Gemara. Every human being has a quota of hard labor that they have to put in this world. Lachatz, right? You know what lachatz is? Pressure. Pressure. Pressure, sweat, toil. Everyone has a quota of toil. What? How do you fulfill that quota? God meant that it should be fulfilled by working and learning Torah. How? What do you mean? Yeah, it's not easy to learn Torah. Sometimes you, you woke up 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, and it's uh, 10 to 9, you're dead tired, you're falling off your feet, your eyes are closing, you can barely keep up, the share might be boring one night, and you're pushing yourself to learn. You're forcing yourself. You're working hard to learn. That's what it means to toil in Torah. Or you're learning something, it's not so easy to understand. You're trying to figure out, what is Rashi telling me? And you strain yourself, you try to focus your mind, you try to understand. Or you're learning a piece of Gemara, you don't quite get it. Maybe you go, you ask your friend, you ask your rabbi, you put in effort. That's what it means to work in Torah. You got to put an effort in, in learning Torah. Torah is not like, you know, you sit back on your hammock and you drink lemonade and you take out um, maybe in English and you plug in the earphones and then you just relax and it goes into your mind. Torah doesn't work like that. It doesn't work. There's only one way to learn with work, with toil. Man was created to toil. And every human being has a quota. In other words, every day... God puts a quota. How much pressure you're going to have? Every year, God puts a quota. How much lachat? How much pressure? Of course, the point is, everyone has to work. Now, besides learning, you've got to make a living, right? Besides learning Torah, you've got to pay the bills. And it's not necessarily easy to make a living, right? But we're not talking about that because a person can make a living. Umnus nekiyavakala. Person goes to work, whatever his hours are, he wakes up, he goes. You know how it is. Some days work goes smooth, and some days you're sweating and you're toiling and you're working and you're schwitzing, and it's pressure and it's aggravating and it's annoying and it's torturous. Sometimes work goes smooth and sometimes it's torturous. God put on each human being a quota of, so to speak, I don't want to say torture, but strenuous labor, hard work. And it's not meant to be fulfilled putting in hard work in physical matters. That's not what God meant. God meant that we fulfill this quota by straining ourselves in Torah. And if you strain yourself in Torah, it's pleasurable. It's enjoyable, and we'll see, it makes you live longer. However... God says, it's up to you. You could choose. You don't want to learn? You're not interested in learning? No problem. You'll have, you'll have aggravation in the rest of your life. In other words, every human being has a certain amount of aggravation in this world. It's meant to be fulfilled by the efforts we put in in learning Torah. What is aggravation? Aggravation? Problems. Problems, exactly. Everybody has problems in this world, right? Trouble. The best way to fulfill up that quota is by learning. Get your problems through learning. What does that mean, problems? What kind of problems? I'll tell you what kind of problems. You learn, you come to, 
One night you come home, you say, tonight I want to go, I'm going to the yeshiva, I'm going to the shul. You take out a chumash, you try to understand what this Pasuk is saying, you can't understand, what's, what's the Pasuk saying, what does it mean, how could I understand, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. Try to read Rashi, I can't, what does this word mean in Rashi, I don't know, I have to get up, to go look it up, I don't know what it means, I'll go to, go to my friend, I'm going to ask my friend what it means, I, I, nobody knows, I'll call up the rabbi, I'll call up this guy, I'll call up that guy, I can't, that's the kind of trouble that God wants us to have. Trouble learning. If a person doesn't want to put in trouble learning, God says, no problem. You'll just have to fulfill it in a different way. But Adam la'amal yulad. Man has trouble in this world. There is no such thing as the easy life. So if you thought, you know, the title of this year is How to Make Life Easy, there's no such thing, How to Make Life Easy. There's no easy life. You have to, now, ah, now if you're lucky and you're able to get your troubles from learning, some people, it's not so easy to come out to a shir at night. They have to force themselves, they have to strain themselves to keep up, to learn, to put aside everything else. That's also troubles. That's a trouble. It's not easy. Some people, they have trouble concentrating. Whatever efforts that you put into Torah takes away efforts that you would have to put into other areas in life. That's what Aaron Cutler says. Says Aaron Cutler, it's a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. That's what the Mishnah says in Pirkei You know what the Mishnah says? Anyone who accepts upon himself the old Torah, the yoke of Torah, God removes the yoke of this world. In other words, nobody said this world is easy. This world is very difficult. There's hardship. But if a person says, I will get my hardship, so to speak, in Torah, so Hashem says, that's what I want. That's what I want. The person who puts his efforts in learning Torah, it's... Somebody says, you know, before I go to work in the morning, I'm going to wake up a little bit early, 10 minutes early to learn a little bit. It's not easy to get up 10 minutes earlier. He's forcing himself. He's fighting himself. That's a trouble. The rest of the day will be much smoother because you've already fulfilled your quota in the Torah. And the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos, someone who casts off the yoke of Torah, in other words, a person says, yeah, I'm interested in learning, but the second it infringes on my lifestyle a little bit, the second it causes me to lose one minute of sleep or minimize one iota of pleasure, forget it. God says, no problem. You'll just have other troubles. In other words, pick, your, pick what you want. That's what Aaron Color says. Pick what you want. You want to have a nice life, smooth, everything should go smooth? Work and learning. You're not interested? Pick your poison, as they say. Chas v'shalom. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll elaborate on this. Says Rav Aaron Cutler. This is what the Zohar means. You know why the Mitzrayim made us work with avoida kasha, with hard labor? Zu kasha. That's because we were lax in learning Torah and asking kashas. So Hashem says... Oh, you're lax in your involvement in kasha? Avoid the kasha. Go build the pyramids. You get, everyone has to work. There's no way out of it. So you don't want to work in learning? Go build the pyramids. No problem. Sweat. They'll be whipping you. Yeah. Uh, the chronology. <coughs> chronology. Sorry. The chronology here yeah. is a little strange. Yeah. Because obviously... The Bnei Yisrael did not have the Torah. Oh, they didn't have the Torah yet. But nevertheless, they had 
Avram Avinu, the Gemara says, was Zakein v'yoshiv v'yishiv. Avram Avinu spent his entire career learning Torah. Yitzhak spent his career learning Torah. Yaakov spent his career learning Torah. And that's why he sent Yehuda down to Goshen to establish yeshiva. Because even though they had not officially gotten the Torah yet, they had Megillos, the Medr says, that they involved themselves in. They had many... Many types of uh, all the traditions from Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, all the halachos that, were, that they were supposed to be involved in. That's the pshat in the Zohar, says Rabbi Shua Leib Diskin. Who's Rabbi Shua Leib Diskin? Rabbi Shua Leib Diskin was one of the greatest gedolim of the 19th century. Rabbi Shua Leib Diskin, they say, he was such a go and he was so brilliant, he could look at a tree and he could tell you how many leaves were on the tree. That's what they say. <laughs> what? I can't, I can't reveal that, but that's what they say. Um, so says Rabbi Shuleib Diskin, what the Zohar means is, you know why they made us work with hard labor? Because we weren't asking kushos. You know why they made us work with mortar? Because we weren't making kal we weren't involved in the learning process. You know why they made us made bricks? Because we weren't clarifying halacha. In this world, you got to work hard. That's the way it is. There's no way out of it. Don't, if anybody has a misconception that this world is the easy life, not this world, maybe the next world. But not this world. This world, Adam Amo Yulad. And there are two ways to work. Either you work physically, either the work of this world will be lachats, or you put your lachats in learning. Therefore, says Rabbi Shur Leib Diskin, what the Zohar means is, because Klal Yisrael were not working in learning, they had to work physically. They had to work physically. And by the way, the Sefer Otsar Satora suggests that we know one of the Shvatim never had to work in Mitzrayim. Shevet Levi, why? Because Shevet Levi was always involved in learning. Yoru Mishpatechal Yaakov. Shevet Levi never stopped learning. Don't stop learning. You don't have to build pyramids. God says, I don't want you to have extra pressure and difficulty making a living. That's not what I had in mind. I want you to work hard in learning. You don't want to learn? So you're choosing your own poison. But I want you to work in learning. Now, Rabbi Issa, I'll tell you something amazing. In other words, what we're saying is, in this world, there is stress. There's no way out of it. Everyone has stress. Either you have stress in spiritual matters, or you have stress in physical matters. What does that mean, stress in, in spiritual matters? Stress is, I know right now, oh, 9 o'clock, okay, I have to go to sleep at 10.15 or 11.15 or 12.15 because I have to wake up tomorrow for Shachris so I don't miss Shema. That's stress. There's no way around it. It's stress. Yeah, but when you put in your stress in spiritual matters, you don't have stress in physical matters. There's a quota of stress you have. God wants us to have stress in now us. And now a person will say, what's the difference where I put in my stress? Stress is bad, it, right? Like ask any doctor, right? Any doctor will tell you, stress makes the heart weak, right? You go to the cardiovascular specialist. The first question he asks, are you stressed out? Right, that's what they can ask. Right? They don't know anything else, but are you stressed out? Why they ask each other? Because the stress weakens the heart. It shortens your life. Right? It shortens your life, stress. So, but you're going to tell me I was supposed to be stressed out in learning and davening and careful, right? It's stressful to buy a lulav and esrog to make sure 
that the spine is not split and that, uh, and that the esrog doesn't have any blemish and has proper, right? It's stressful to do mitzvahs properly. Says Rabbeinu Yonah that even though stress and physical matters shortens the life, miraculously God guarantees us mar b'toyrah, mar b'chayim. The more Torah you learn, says Rabbeinu Yonah, the more stress you have in spiritual matters, the stronger your heart gets, the longer you live. The longer you live. So God says like this, every human being has stress. You could choose to have stress in areas that make your life better, or you could choose to have stress in areas that make your life worse. Just, just choose whichever one you want. It's up to you. Yeah. Shevet Lev didn't work. Yeah. Other Shvatim, they saw that they, not, they, let, they don't make them work. At a certain point, it was a punishment. In other words, there are certain shvatim that slackened off. Hashem said, "You slackened off. Okay, now now you got to do this. Now you got to suffer. You got to swallow the pill. Now you got to swallow the pill." Again, we're not saying people shouldn't work for a living. Of course, you have to work for a living. You got to pay the bills. But there's work, and then there's slavery, right? God never intended that a person be a slave for a living. God wants you to work for a living. If a person sees that his work turns into slavery, so some people like to have be slaves. People like to, to work hard. People like to work like chayas. So if you want, no problem. But if a person wants to keep things tolerable and bearable, then this is the Eitzah. The Eitzah is you put in your work in spiritual matters that minimizes work in physical matters. And in fact, we once quoted this Ben Eshchai, Ben Eshchai and Parsha Shmos, Shana Bet, right? You know I love the Ben Eshchai, right? Ben Eshchai says like this, not only does every human being have to work, every human being has to build. You have a choice. Either you could work, slave away, build buildings, or you could build with Torah. Because we know, every time you learn Torah, you build tremendous structures in, in Olam Haba. Says the Ben Eshchai, before the Torah was given in Mitzrayim, they saw didn't have Torah. So they didn't have Torah? And we know a human being has to build. So Paro said, no problem. You don't have to, you got to build the pyramids. Adam Lamo Yulot, everybody got to build, especially you Jews. Jews are created to build more than Goyim even. Goyim are created to build with their hands. We're created to build spiritual structures. So Paro says, you got to build. Build me the pyramids. So what does Moshe do? Moshe says, nah, I'm taking the Jews out. Freedom. So Paro says, what are you talking about, freedom? Don't you know Moshe? Don't you know the Ben Ishchai? Don't you know Rav Aaron Cutler? Don't you know Rav Shuleib Diskin? Paro says to Moshe, every human being has to build... Moshe says, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not going to take them out so they could sit on the hammock and sip lemonade. I'm taking them out so that they could get the Torah and build through the Torah, Paro. Paro didn't like that idea exactly, but that's what Moshe Abeno tells Paro. Ah, so we're suggesting like this. We are suggesting, why does the Torah choose at this juncture to bring down the argument of Moshe Abeno? What's the Torah doing? The Torah is basically bringing down the concept of Kalvachomer. You know why? 
So perhaps we could suggest that the Maril Diskin is telling us, based on the Zayar, that why was B'nai Yisrael forced to do hard labor? Because they slackened off in Kalvachomer in their learning of Torah. In other words, every human being has to build, has to toil, has to sweat. Either you could do it in life or you could do it in Torah. And because B'nai Yisrael slackened off, so therefore the B'nai Yisrael, so therefore Paro made us work Bechoimer with cement. At this juncture in time when Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, now it's time to go free, what does the Torah say? Torah says like this, Now it's time to fulfill that quota of Chomer, not by building with cement, but by making Kalva Chomer. In other words, they went in because they were lax in Kalva Chomer. Now they want to go out. That's where the Torah codifies. This, this is where the Torah records the concept of Kalva Chomer. You went, you went in because you didn't learn the Kalva Chomer. You want to go out. This is what you have to strengthen yourself in. The learning of Torah Shabbat Peh, the learning of Kavach And perhaps that's what we mean, Matzai Shabbos, when we say in this Miro, Slach na Kavach forgive us for the Kavach What do you mean forgive us for the Kavach Forgive us, God, for our main infraction, right? The main Avera that rests on our shoulders is Bittal Torah, is not learning enough. That's the main Avera that rests on our shoulders. That's what we're saying to Hashem. When Bnei Yisrael were leaving Mitzrayim, the Yam did not want to split. The Yam says, what do you mean split? Why should I split? Adam la'amo yulad. Man has to work. You got to go back into Egypt. Build your buildings. Right? But what did it see? It saw the Brisa Rabbi Shmuel. What does the Brisa Rabbi Shmuel say? What's the first thing in the Brisa Rabbi Shmuel? In other words, the Bnei Yisrael were saying, we're ready to work in a different way. We're ready to put in our effort in a different avenue now. In the 13 Midos Shatar and Adreshas Bahim. Okay, so that's the first part of the shir which I call making life easier. The more efforts a person puts in to learning Torah, the easier the rest of life becomes. That's, that's what Ravar and Kaler is teaching us. That's what the Zohar is teaching us. Life has stress. If a person is committed to learning, and he puts an effort to learn, and he strains himself to learn, that makes the rest of life easier. person doesn't want to do that, Hashem says, look, everybody has a certain quota. Okay, I want to move on to something amazing. What do we say before Pesukei Dezimah? Right before we start Shacharis, we say this, Brice Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shmuel, Oimer, the Yud Gimel Midos HaTor Nidrashesvam, the Torah is expounded in 13 ways. Could somebody tell me, what does this got to do with davening? Absolutely nothing to do with davening. If you were to ask me, what's the last thing that would make sense to say before davening, I would say, the price of Rabbi Shmuel. I mean, if you're, I would say that before you learn, open up the Gemara, you should say the price of Rabbi Shmuel, the 13 methodologies of Tarsha Peh. But what's it got to do with tefillah? Kavachoymer, gzeira shava, shneik suvamamachishim zeaseh, what's it got to do with anything? Says the Bnei Yisachar. The Bnei Yisachar was the... Uh, Rabbi Tzvi Elimach Midinov, Tzvi Elimach Shapiro, 1786 to 1841. He's actually the founder of Munkach, the Munkach Chasidim. He says like this, based on the writings of Rav Baruch Dov Mimezrich, the Magid Mimezrich. Listen to what he says. The Yud Gimel Midoy Shatar and Edreshes, the 13 principles through which we expound the Torah, 
correspond precisely to the Yud Gimel Midos Harachamim. We know God has 13 attributes of mercy, right? After the Chet Ego and after Hashem was going to destroy Klai Yisrael, so Hashem taught Moshe Rabbeinu the 13 principles of Yud Gimel Midos Harachamim. God has 13 ways of having mercy on us, 13 Midos Harachamim. These 13 Yud Gimel Midos, these 13 Midos that you learn Torah with, correspond precisely to the Yud Gimel Midos Harachamim. Says the Bnei Yisachar, each one of these methodologies of learning Torah will bring out another one of God's Midos of Rachamim. In other words, if you learn Kalvachomer, that will, God, that will cause God to have the first of the attributes of mercy on, on us, on Bnei Yisrael. You learn the second type of methodology of learning, that causes God to have the second type of mercy. In other words, the 13 principles of learning Torah bring out God's 13 Midos HaRachamim. Right? What are the third, by the way, what are the Yudgim Omidus Rachamim? Hashem, Hashem, Kelrachim, Mechanon, Erech Apayim, Rav Ches, Ve'emes, Nezer Ches, Alafim, right? God is merciful before the sin, God is merciful after the sin, Kale is powerful mercy, He forgives sin, He forgives intentional sin, He forgives, right? Thirteen principles of mercy. By the way, I just want to speak out, and it's going to be relevant in a few moments. There is a machlokas between Taisus and Masechta Rosh Hashanah and the Arizal. How do you calculate the Yud Gimel Midas HaRachamim? The opinion of Taisus is Hashem is number one. Hashem is number two. Kael, number three. Racham, number four. Chanun, number five. Says the Arizal, Hashem Hashem is out. The two times it says Hashem Hashem are not part of the Yud Gimel Midas HaRachamim and you have to count others. For instance, Arizal counts Erech Apayim as two separate things. The Arizal counts Notzer Chesed La'alofim as two separate things. Notzer Chesed La'alofim. Going with the Shita of the Arizal, going to the Arizal's opinion, the Arizal's opinion is Hashem Hashem is out and the first of the Yud Gimomidah Sarachimim is Kale. So listen to this. When Miriam Hanaviah got Saras, God, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed that she should be healed. Who remembers what Moshe Rabbeinu said? Kale Narefanala. He was trying to arouse God's Midah of Kale, which according to Arizal is the first of the Yudgimah Midah Sarachamim. So what does Hashem say to Moshe? Does anyone remember? If her father would have spit at her, she would have had to be locked up for seven days. So now that I'm upset with her, all the more so Miriam has to be locked up at least seven days. What do you call that? Kavachaymer. If her own father would have got upset at her, she would have been ashamed in seclusion for seven days. Certainly, if I'm upset at her, she has to go into seclusion for seven days. What's God saying? He's utilizing the argument of Kavachomer. Says uh, B'nai Yisrael, what's God saying? Moshe, you're davening kale. You want me to bring out my attribute of mercy? God says there's only one way to do it. Go learn the laws of Kavachomer. Kavachomer is the first of the Yud Gimel Mido Shator Nidrash Yisbahem. You want to bring out the first of the Yud Gimel Mido Sarachamim? So Hashem says, Kale? You want me to have mercy? You know how to do it. Kale is Yud Gimel Mido Sarachamim number one. You got to learn the first principle through which the Torah is expounded, which is Kavachomer. I would like to suggest the following. 
Going according to, not the Arizal, going according to Tosfus, what's the first of God's attribute of mercy? Hashem! Yud Vavke. Turn to the very first flick of this week's passion. God spoke to Moshe. Vayomer Elov, he said to him, Ani Hashem! In other words, what's Hashem saying? Elohim spoke to Moshe, and he says, I am Yud Vavke. And then Hashem goes on to say, Whenever I appeared to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, I always came to them with this name, Kel Shakai. But I am coming to you with the following name. Ushmi Hashem lohem. I never made myself known by the name of Yud Vavke to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Says Arachayim HaKadosh, what's God saying to Moshe? Arachayim HaKadosh, the number 19, says the following. Hashem saying to Moshe, Moshe, you're probably wondering about the following. You're probably wondering, how am I taking Klal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim early? How many years were B'nai Yisrael supposed to be in Mitzrayim? 400, 430. And I'm only taking them out after 210 years? What's up with that? You're probably wondering about that, Moshe. So the Archaim says, you know what God says to Moshe? You know what the answer is? Ani Hashem! What does Hashem mean? Rachamim! You know why I'm taking them out early? Because I have mercy on them. I can't suffer. I can't tolerate watching them suffer anymore. Ani Hashem! In other words, Hashem's telling Moshe, Moshe, it's true. I never showed this attribute to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. I gave them what they deserved. But now I am exercising a new midah. What's the midah? Ani Hashem. Ani Hashem means I'm having mercy on them. That's why I'm taking them out early. So what does the Torah do? The Torah says, Let me teach you a little secret, B'nai Yisrael. How do you arouse Ani Hashem? How do you make Hashem have mercy on Kali Yisrael? You know what the answer is? You want to bring out the first of the Yud Gimel Midah, Sarachamim. You have to involve yourself in the first of the Yud Gimel Midah Shatar What's the first of the Yud Gimel Midah Shatar Nidrashas Baham? Kavachaymer. What does the Torah record? Vehein Bnei Yisrael Leishamu Eli. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, Hashem, if Bnei Yisrael are not listening to me, Veich Yishmaeni Paroi. How's Paro going to listen to me? What does Rashi say? This is one of the ten Kavachomers in the Torah. Why is the Torah choose? To record specifically at this juncture in time the concept of Kavachomer? Because the Torah is trying to teach me what God is tell, telling Moshe. Hashem is telling Moshe, I am now trying to exercise Rachmanos of Ani Hashem. How do you awaken God's Rachmanos? There's only one way. You have to learn Kavachomer, you have to learn Torah. Each manner of learning Torah brings out a different aspect of God's Rachmanus on Kalah Yisrael. So what we're learning tonight is two very important ideas. Number one is there's a certain quota of stress we have in life. And we are the ones who get to choose how we want the stress to play out. We want the stress to play out in physical life. Or you want the stress to play out in spiritual life. The advantage being when the stress is in spiritual life... It's not real stress. It makes you live longer. It makes you happier. But it's up to us to choose where we want that stress to play out. The Bnei Yisrael had to serve in Mitzrayim, B'chomer with hard work with clay, because they were weak in Kal V'chomer.
And the second thing we're learning is that if you want to awaken God's mercy on us, you want to arouse Hashem's Rachmanus, Hashem's mercy, we know how to do it. The different ways of learning Torah are the different ways of bringing out Hashem's mercy on Klai Yisrael. Rabbi Yisrael, thank you for coming, thank you for listening, have a good night.